sometimes when I'm lacking a bit of motivation, I'm thinking, oh, what am I going to do? I sort of think, you know, if I'm sitting in my rocking chair, looking back on life, you know, I've, I've made some mistakes, obviously. Um, some of those are the best lessons in my life. Mm. Um, so maybe they're not mistakes. Mm. That's a whole other discussion. Exactly. Um, but I want to look back and say, I did try and make the most of my time, you know? Mm. I talk about not being afraid to fail quite a bit in the book and not trying is the only failure. Mm. And so John Kerwin is the guy that told me that. Yeah. Not trying. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Because trying trying something comes with risks, doesn't it? Absolutely. You know, yep. you, you might fail. You might fail, but you can't be afraid of that failure. This episode of Please Blow My Mind is proudly supported by the lovely team at Sunpix Post. Yes. I've got one of the directors here. Is that correct? That's correct. You're yes. like a boss. I am a boss. Well, Poppy's the boss, really. She's True kind that. of managing the place. For those just watching, uh, it's the cutest little dog ever. Oh, looked at me on cue. <laughs> Don't bite me. Uh, for those listening, uh, we're in the Sunpix I've called it the Sun Picks Podcast Studio. Yes, and we are we're we're on this mission to create good conversation. Exactly. Yeah. To acknowledge uh, the kind of traditional media, which is telly and radio, but give it a bit of a revamp into this whole podcast world. Exactly. Of, of you know, like in the past, Dan. Um, Things cost a lot of money to make. Yeah. Now we can talk for hours. Yes. And I think that's what we're both excited about, right? That's what Sunpix is excited about. Yeah, like, yeah. And the possibilities are endless. Mm. You know, you start one, you talk about one um, topic, and you get different guests in, and mm. then they have different ideas, and it's all about spreading ideas yep. and making, yeah, engaging content really. And um, we should start a, uh, like a conference called TED Talks. TED Talks. And it's just us <laughs> spreading ideas. <laughs> ideas worth sharing, I think, is their. Um, yeah, tagline. it is. So anyway, we can rip that off. One day. Uh, Just quickly, if people want to check out the Sunpix story, um, they can jump online. They can, sunpixpost.co.nz. So we're a post-production facility, and we basically make content uh, for TV, Mm. for web, and um, we specialize in finishing, so color grading and uh, sound mixing, uh, podcast recording, voiceover recording. Awesome. Yeah, we try and do a little bit of everything around here. Kind of like creative one-stop shop. If you need to get yes, your message out there, true. Yeah. come and uh, leave Come the and visit Poppy. She's here. She's an office <laughs> dog, and she will probably bark at you as you walk in. Yay. Yeah. Sunpixpost.co.nz. <laughs> this episode of Please Blow My Mind with me, Will Fleming, is brought to you by floatculture.co.nz. Float Culture is Auckland's leading flotation tank center created for the well-being of the body and mind. When you float with folkculture.co.nz, you'll create meaningful and lasting change with mindfulness and complete physical relaxation. Floating will become an integral part of your busy lifestyle. Float Culture is motivated to ensure that the entire experience achieves maximum relaxation, happiness and relief for you. So if you want to be part of the float culture scene in New Zealand, visit floatculture.co.nz to book your float and blow your mind right now. As a very special offer to you, the Please Blow My Mind listener, you'll get 20% off your next float by using the promo code MINDBLOWING, all one word. Visit floatculture.co.nz and book your float today. We live in a world that encourages us to remove ourselves from the human experience. Whether it's looking at our phones too long, forgetting how to talk to someone face to face, or just straight up giving in and convincing ourselves that a chicken nugget is actual food. It's not food, it's violence. I don't know about you, but this freaks me out. 
So I've started a podcast, my antidote to this silliness. It's time to blow our minds. My name is Will Fleming. Welcome to my podcast, Please Blow My Mind. Mike, thanks for joining me, brother. Good to see you. I like the fact that you're you've got to rush this through. You got to fly tonight, <laughs> so you've got your like pilot's uniform and and you you got the book. You're a busy dude. Does it feel like um, does it feel like that you've got enough time to realize all of the things you're trying to achieve, or do you think that's a job for when you retire? Oh, uh, no, this is probably a job when I retire. Mm. Yeah, it is a bit busy at the moment. It's all good. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um, a lot of the guests on the podcast talk about kind of finding your thing. Yeah. Um, how long is it? Like, how did you find your thing? I've never asked you that. Like, what, you know, what's the story with you um, chasing these adventures? Good question. Um, it happened a long time ago, probably 20 years. And I, I, I reached my goal. I became an airline pilot and mm. I was just so happy about it. And I write about it in my first book. And, after about a year of being having this fantastic job, I got lost. You know, I couldn't put my finger on it. It's like I missed my mojo, and mm. I or was I'd lost it in some way. And what it was, or what I think it was, is I was driven every day to jump out of bed with this goal of becoming an airline pilot, and I'd achieved it. So I thought, right, I need a goal. So I mm. plucked random goals out of the air, right. and one was a marathon, and I failed. I didn't. Oh, true. Oh, I didn't didn't make it. And then I thought, <laughs> well, I can achieve things. Yeah. So I plucked another goal out of thin air. One of them was, another one, this one was uh, the Coast to Coast, South mm -hmm. Island. Mm -hmm. I made one phone call to a kayak club and I failed. Didn't even, didn't even, it didn't even do any training. Mm. And I took the step back and I realized I wasn't passionate about those. So I started thinking about how I could find that passion. And I, I know how I did it today. It's taken me quite a while to work out how I did it. But what I was doing is I started feeding what I call my funnel. And I was just feeding all these ideas into this, basically into a big funnel, like I imagined it. Opened my mind to everything, right? These days you've got podcasts. 20 mm, years ago you didn't, right. so it's great. And more and more, my ideas got more and more refined, and then I found my focus mm. or my passion, and that was adventure, more importantly, actual mountaineering, climbing in those days. Mm. And then I was waking up at be out of bed with the same passion and drive that I had uh, as a teenager wanting to be an airline pilot. Mm. So It's a real fine line though, eh? If you don't kind of do the you know, the mental work, because because they say, go and experience things. Yeah. But that's not always enough. Well, it is and it isn't. I mean, you have yeah. to experience things to, you know, see whether you like it or not. Mm. And so, yeah, that's part of the journey, I guess. But actually, it's honestly, it's taken me probably 18 to 20 years to actually mm. uh, determine and actually put a name and a process to how I did it. Mm. And it was basically feeding that funnel yeah. and finding that focus and that passion. And then, then off I went. Mm. What does the word adventure mean to you? Adventure is... A challenge, and then the classic term is adventure um, is, lies at the end of your comfort zone. So something that you're pushing your comfort zone, something new, something challenging. It can be anything. It doesn't have to be life um, risking, mm. as in climbing mountains, you mm. know. But it, did you know that when you started your adventures? No, I was right. uh, young and full of risk and adventure, <laughs> you know, and, and I was climbing some serious mountains. Mm. Luckily, having an airline pilot's brain and the way, you know, I approached risk was I'd go with guides and I was very, very safe, but still the risk was there. Mm. Um, but then that all changed as soon as, you know, I've had, as soon as I had children and my kids are old, older now, they're 13, 15 and 17. Mm. And so they're, you know, they're getting big. Um, children, I think, need a dad more than I need to go and climb, say, mountains like Everest or mm. K2. Not that I've climbed K2, but I was invited to go. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I remember reading um, that your kind of upbringing wasn't, say, traditional. No. And, and, and do you think that was driving you a lot in these adventures to try and find lessons? In a way. Um, so I grew up, my mum was solo mum. My mm. dad sort of uh, left the scene when I was about 10. I never saw him again. Mm. And then, you know, that was pretty sad for a kid growing up like yeah. that. And I think that probably drove me to be a better dad. And I remember when I was a dad, I became a dad, I was quite concerned, <laughs> and like all dads. Mm -hmm. And I went to, it was called the Parenting, um, Parents Inc. I think it's Parenting Place now, yep. I'm not sure. And I did some courses, read some books. And I remember the two things that really stuck with me. One was building family traditions. They can be anything. They can be, I don't know, sleeping outside on New Year's Eve every year. They can be any tradition you can, but build family traditions. And kids spell love, T-I-M-E. And so my family tradition in my book, um, my new book, is around spending time with your kids. Mm. And when they were seven, it was a family tradition. They got to trek with dad one-on-one -on -one to sit and see Everest. Mm. And it's quite special taking your kid, uh, especially a young child, that far. So just run that through. Your tradition is you, you go on a mission yep. with your kid at a certain age. Yep. It's just almost like a rite of passage. So yeah. at seven years of age, they get to come with dad one-on-one -on, -one on a trek to see Everest. We don't go all the way to base camp. We go up to a little village called Namchi and then a couple of villages beyond there. Mm -hmm. And we stay with my Sherpa friends in their homes and we just experience the Sherpa culture. You can't drag a seven-year-old that far. You know? <laughs> they, they, they have to be able to walk and they do. And what I didn't realize is when we came home from the first child, Ethan, when he was seven, the five-year-old was getting, Maya was getting excited. Mm. The three-year-old didn't know what was going on. Now they were more interested in Dora the Explorer in those days. Mm. So, um, but then everyone had something to look forward to. And I, I sort of built on that. So everyone in the family has some adventure to look forward to mm. sometime in the future. So it's not just dad going off on adventures. It's the whole family. And my wife does it. So my wife um, loves adventure as well. But different to my adventures mm. she likes scotland and scottish castles and that's her adventures mm. um and my kids yeah so that was the first uh sort of um rite of passage at seven and then at 14 they get to do something else as well wow and did you kind of just come up with that idea like were you just like i want to do something sort of just developed over the years yeah. you know and it sort of got you know after they after i took the last one and <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to be something extreme like Nepal. It can be going down into the bush and going mm. hunting or trapping or fishing or something with your kids, but just one-on-one -on -one and spending that time with them. There's no devices. Um, and when I finished the last uh, last child, Dylan, and when he was seven, and it was hard work, it really was, um, just going to Everest like that three times, and but we managed to do it, uh, I was thinking, what are we going to do now? And I asked them, what do you want to do? What do you reckon? Mm. And they were all like, Dad, why don't we do something else at 14? But we choose. So they choose their adventure. Has to be outside the limits of what they think is possible. Right. Has to be safe. Wendy's approval. And it has to have an element of giving back to a community. So those are the three conditions or three things. So all of those things are not about the final outcome, are they? They're all about no. the process of like, you know, enjoying the journey or, or yeah. and, and I wonder if sometimes we forget that in our fast paced modern world, you know, where we're looking for these experiences and, and um, I just 
I think there's something quite nice that that you've had to kind of develop this and that it's become like a tradition. And, you know, because sometimes I think it's all well and good saying these things, but how do people do that stuff in their own lives? You know, how do how do we encourage people, including myself, to to live a more adventurous life? Because I don't want the risk. You know, I'm scared yep. of a lot of things. And maybe that's where people say, be more uncomfortable. Go do those things. And then there's a time issue. There's a, you know, there's a monetary issue and all of these things. Um, But like you say, I I guess it's a venture can be um, what's something you got to do together. Do you think that's can be as long as you're pushing your limits? So you know, and and or your child's um, limits of what they think they can do. Mm. Uh, I know, for example, with Maya when she was 13, she said, "Oh, can I go a year early?" And I was guiding a team to base camp. She wanted to come to base camp, and I said, "Look, I know you're going to make base camp." Uh, you've been to Nepal a couple of times with me. Um, we'll go out, go away, and think outside the square, and just think some random crazy thoughts. Mm. And what I was doing was gently mentoring her, and she didn't know it. Um, and so she went away and just started thinking random ideas, and she came back with this idea about uh, paddleboarding the world's highest lake, mm. and it was incredible. And no one had ever done it. We were going to take two paddleboards, strap them on yaks, take them up with the team, find this lake. The other thing is you can't be afraid to fail. That fear of failure, that's killed more dreams than actually failing has, really, mm-hmm. because people just don't start because they're afraid they're going to fail. So this was a beautiful example of that because we didn't even know if this lake was frozen right up until we're walking up the last scree slope. And then we saw it and we're like, wow, it's not frozen. Maybe we can do it. You know, And, and uh, she's on the cover, but that's, um, that's just at base camp there. So that was the day before. Um, and we, you know, and off she went, she went and did it. But that was the biggest thing. She couldn't, both of us couldn't be afraid to fail. Mm-hmm. And the conversations that her and I had together as a father-daughter around there was just, they were fantastic. How many times have you been to Everest? So I've summited once yep. and I've been to base camp oh, probably eight times, eight, nine times. Do you know the people really well around yeah. there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they all remember me. I remember them. It's great to see them. New Zealand's got a really interesting connection with that part of the oh, yeah. world. Eh? Like, yep. What are the Sherpas like? Are they kind they're of just, just they're salts of the earth? They are just fantastic people. You know, they are they're so happy to see you, and they remember your name, and mm. they talk about you, and you, and you you remember them as well. And I don't know, you just I just seem to get on really well with them. Mm. They're really hardworking, down to earth, super awesome people. They really are. are they tough? Oh, like <laughs> the like, toughest people on the planet. Do you like you know when you're walking up the hill or something like that or Everest? What are they? Do they like? Are the, are the you know the Westerners complaining and these dudes just get on with it? How, how does that work? <laughs> they so they I mean yeah a couple of years ago when I used to went they used to love arm wrestling me to try and beat me <laughs> in an arm wrestle right and I could just beat most most of them in an arm wrestle, but they would put on say a seventy kilogram pack and they'd walk all day. Mm. I'd put on seventy and I've tried it. So you know some porters have coming past and I've got their baskets and I put them on and they weigh probably 60, 70 kilos and I can probably walk about for about. No, oh, no, 50 meters, and they have to sit down. Mm. These guys walk, say, 50 meters, they sit down or they rest, and they just do this all day. Mm. So their toughness is a mental toughness. You know, that's the big, big difference. Yeah. You know, when I, on the summit night of Everest, when I came out of my tent and I stood up, and my Sherpa was there, the same was Lakpa, and he was about five foot five, and he looked up at me and he goes, Mike, tonight we're going to climb Everest. Whoa. He was. 10 times stronger than I was because at that stage it was all mental and it was it's incredible it really is mm. when you're um, 
But what do you remember from summiting? The actual summit day or the summit or actually seeing that summit? Yeah, like, I mean, I guess for someone who hasn't and may never, but you kind of get this idea of, you know, being to the top of the world. Like, is it a, do you just kind of finish walking and then you're there? Or does it happen so gradually that you don't really realize it? It's sort of, well, summit night, well, it's night for a start. Mm. So you can't see too much. Uh, and you're climbing in the dark. <laughs> it's very, very steep. When you yeah. look down, you can, you know, sort of down between your legs, you can see people below you. So it's really steep. And then, you know, parts are a bit, bit more shallow and parts are steeper again. So then the dawn comes up and you're waiting for that dawn because from a mental point of view, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a great help. Mm -hmm. Temperature doesn't rise that much. But for me, it was business time. You know, it was work. It mm -hmm. was, this is, I'm going to that summit you know, come hella high water. And that took the shine off it in a way, if I'm really honest, because it was all business. You know, I got to the South uh, Summit and I sat, and I sat in the position where Rob Hall um, spent his last, you know, hours. Right. And I remember thinking, this is such an inhospitable place. There was so much history in this tiny ridge going across, the Knife Edge Ridge just before the Hillary Step. And I remember thinking about the history, and then I remember knowing that there was sort of lost people around me, but that upset me, so I didn't start thinking about those. Mm. I was just focusing on that that the job at hand. Mm. And then I climbed up the Hillary Step. Luckbill was behind me, because uh, I didn't go with a Western guide. I went on my own and had a Sherpa help me with, with oxygen on, on summit day. And then, you know, Luckbill stayed at the bottom of the Hillary Step, and then when I came up the top of it and started walking towards the summit, that's when I started to stagger. And then my vision color started going. And, and what I, is that due to? Just exhaustion? Well, lack no, of I collapsed, collapsed into the snow. True. And I remember, th I mean, I slumped into the snow and I, I was looking out from the summit, yeah. just below the summit, and I remember thinking, I'm going to vanish. 40 people have vanished and this is me. And then Lakwa turned up and he knew I'd run out of oxygen and he saved my life. Wow. Unbelievable. And as soon as... It's interesting because as soon as he changed the bottle for me and I looked at him and I was like, thank you so much, <laughs> <laughs> obviously. Yeah. And I stood up inst instantly, came around the corner and there's a summit. Wow. And the, I could, then the emotion came inside me. I could feel this emotion. I remember thinking I remember thinking about being a little boy in Tittering, to tell the truth, thinking, man, True. just worked so hard for this. There's yeah. no money to buy the summit. And then a tear sort of rolled down underneath my goggle and then it froze on my cheek and then something clicked and there was no... No space for emotion. Right. I'm here to do a job. I'm here to summit. Uh, and I turned to Lakpa and said, hey, three phone calls. Oh, sorry, three photographs and one phone call. Yeah. Let's go. Who'd you call? Call Wendy. Wow. Yeah. What, what did she say? She said, you sound terrible. Oh. Get down. <laughs> Man, I've asked you before, but it must be interesting to think. Like, do you ever ask her what it was like to yeah. receive that call? Yeah. Because, you know, while you're on your adventure yeah. to go to the abyss, her adventure is worry, fear. Yeah, she was pretty. I don't know. It'd be interesting to do to talk to her directly about it. But yeah. what she tells me is, you know, she had good confidence in me that I'd reduce as much of the risk as possible. But yeah. on summit day, she was finding that really difficult mm -hmm. because it was just just fragments of information coming through. You know, there's strong wind. Some mm -hmm. teams have turned around. The, there's a thunderstorm moving in. This sort of stuff was happening. And so she was finding that difficult. I know she had a wine at 11 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't the most dangerous part coming down too? Yeah, because most people uh, are you know, exhausted. They get to the summit, they have nothing yeah. left in the tank. So they're on a one-way trip and they don't think about the descent. Mm. So I had a trick, and I talk about this in my keynote, 
um, uh, presentations about tricking your subconscious mind. So I had been telling myself I'm going from camp four to the summit all the way down to base camp, mm. and it's impossible. I don't think there's any Western has ever done it. A couple of Sherpas might have. Uh, but what I was doing was tricking my subconscious mind into thinking I had to go all the way down to base camp. Mm. So when I got to camp four, where I was going to stop, I had a lot more energy, which was lucky because my a really good friend of mine had, had um, some uh, frostbite injuries that we had to right. sort of help with. Where, where, where did you learn that? Where did that insight come from to trick your mind? Was that something you had prepared for or kind of realised? It was a... a flight attendant at work who was a really serious triathlete and she taught me how to um, how to visualize and visualize obstacles and then visualize the obstacle and then visualize yourself overcoming the obstacles right and so powerful 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 tool and is that part of what you reference you know with this world of kind of I guess you're evolving in your adventures eh? and that they don't have to be the ones that are the maximum risk, but no. you're going for maximum meaning. And I guess there's, um, you know, I'm just trying to work out how do we extract that learning into our lives? Yeah. Because it all makes sense when you're on Everest, but what if you just, what if the Everest isn't here? Yeah, I know what you mean. Mm. The, I mean, what I would do with my kids is, so on the journey now with my, my youngest one, so he's 13, so at 14, he's got to choose his adventure. Mm. He's coming up with ideas. So we do, I have another, like I have a couple of tools that I call my super tools, right? And one of them's um, I call basic brilliance. And I talk about it in the book as well. And the basic brilliance is just doing the basics really well. When you do everything the basics well, you build yourself resilience. And then so when you end up in a disruptive sort of environment, you've got the spare capacity. Mm. Now, so for him, and that, that you can apply this, to anyth apply this to anything. So the basics for him is we are just dreaming. We're feeding our funnel at the moment. Mm. So I might come home to him and go, hey, have you looked at um, volcanoes in Ecuador? You know, some of them are 5,000 metres. Why don't we go and see if there's any there that maybe we can ski off? Mm. He's like, oh, you mean that's good idea, Dad. <laughs> what about World War II? There was a big battle in uh, an island called the Truck. Mm. What about maybe both of us learning to dive and going over there? Why don't you go? And then, but just gradually feeding him some information so he can decide what, he's, what he wants to do. Mm. We're still a couple of years away. So, you know, it's going to cost us some money. So we start a little account, start just putting in 20 bucks a week, and then it builds up, builds up, builds mm. up. And that's part of the adventure, because it's not the end goal, right? I, I mean, that sounds quite obvious, that obviously it's not the end goal, but I guess it's the research, it's filling the funnel. And yep. and would you recommend that people kind of do that? You've got to find things that you – because how did you describe it? Look outside of the box. Or so just, just push, push yourself outside the limits of what you think you can do. Mm. And so what I was doing with particularly my and Ethan as well is just mentoring. You know, a lot of people have mentors, a lot of – you know, top executives have mentors, but it's not just for them. Mm. You can get mentors, you know, yourself. I'm sure you've got mentors that you mm. use. I certainly do. Mm. Um, and people can do that as well. So what I would do with my with my kids is just gently mentor. I don't think they, well, they know now the cat's out of the bag. Mm. Um, just, and a mentor believes, can see something in you that you can't see in yourself. Mm. And a really good mentor will just open that door for you a little bit and then, and you, mm. then you're off. Yeah, it's an interesting journey to that whole mentor thing. Uh, I kind of sometimes feel like the guests I have on the podcast are mentors because they're always sharing stories, you know, and then I'm able to kind of cherry pick those bits yeah. and, and, and same with the audience, you know, and, and that kind of takes a bit of the pressure off because it can be a bit challenging, particularly if you, say, believe in your 
your own idea to let someone else yep, kind of criticize it. Yep. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's not just one right way, but um, it's tricky. It's tricky. And I sometimes think too, you might have to, like you might say stuff and then it just takes a little while for it to sink in. It's yep. not like this transaction where you say it and we go off and it's all good. Eh? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Some some of the best, some of the people that have had the greatest influence on me and the person that jumps to mind the most is, say, Rob Fife, for example. Mm -hmm. He would plant a seed and just a tiny little seed and that would just go grow into a massive tree. It was unbelievable. So he, for example, said to me, hey, I'll give you my, can you come along and talk to our, our um, management team? Mm -hmm. I was like, no way. <laughs> I'm terrified of public speaking. <laughs> he was like, hey, well, how about if I give you a coach mm -hmm. to train you how to do it? Just that act of doing that opened up a huge ranch slider door for me, mm -hmm. which is incredible. And he just planted a tiny little seed and then poof, I was off. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, yeah, people can do that for you as well. When your kids are all growing up, what do you think you'll get up to? I mean, do you, do you, do you think they'll take you on adventures? I hope so. Um, I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah. Wendy and I sort of sit down and we come up with ideas what we want to do together. Mm. You know, we have a tradition, again, that we go and sit on a beach somewhere with a bottle of bubbles and uh, on New Year's, around New Year's, um, sort of New Year's time, mm. and we write down what we've done mm. and we write down what we want to do the next year or wow. the next couple of years. And now we've got it in, a, in a, like a little book, like a little moleskin, and we go back and have a look at it. Mm. It's quite interesting. You know, some years they're like, oh, we didn't do that, we're too busy, or that was too busy, or mm. that was a stupid idea. But then other times it's like, well, we've done all this stuff. Yeah. It's really great. Mm. And and that way, you know, both everyone has something to look forward to. So we, she comes up with ideas. She's just come back from Scotland. Yeah, she's been cruising around Scotland uh, for three weeks drinking single malt. Mm. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, and so she has her own ideas. She has her own adventures as well. And it's really important that everyone in the family has an adventure to look forward to. Mm. So at the moment, the kids are looking forward. I, I was talking to you before. We just started a little business called High Adventure Tours. Yep. And we're going to be uh, basically being able to take people to Kilimanjaro and we have departures every single Friday and Kilimanjaro is an amazing adventure so I'll probably guide that either once a year or once every two years and mm. I'll take my kids along and help me to guide it and run, run teams there. So you're going to take just regular people? Absolutely. Like hypothetically I could do that? Absolutely. So what's the deal? Like are you going to give me a program and say, hey man, cut the carbs, yep. we're going to get those knees and ankles working <laughs> because you can't just roll up there on no. standard mode, right? Well, it's okay, so if you break it down to small parts, that's the other thing I do in the book. Yep. I talk about breaking things down into small parts. Cool. Kilimanjaro is a great example. So with Ethan, in the book, we talk about the summit was from the gate to the summit was 44 kilometres. Mm. The first day was 11 kilometres. So now you're down to you know 33 kilometres. The next day was, say, 7. By the time you break it down, from the top camp to the summit is only 5K. It takes you seven hours, mm. but it's only five kilometres. So most people could do that now mm. you drag yourself up and it would hurt so the more you train the better style you're going to summit in yeah. and you know we'll be looking after people and making sure they only say do the six day or seven day mm. adventure so their acclimatization is quite good and yeah. they can do it comfortably you want to get to that summit with a massive smile on your face so mm. yeah is this your way mike of kind of helping people who are struggling to find their adventure in life to, to kind of open up that because I wonder if the funnel's closed for a lot of us you know I kind of relate it metaphorically to you know we say dream big 
But if you're not used to dreaming, yeah. if you haven't come from an environment where you even have learned to dream or, you know, whatever, that's a, you got to get past go first. Yeah, so do absolutely. you think it could be like you're giving people an adventure, you're opening up that funnel and it's like now it's up to you? Is that how, how you kind of see it? Well, Kilimanjaro is, is an amazing mountain like that because it's relatively accessible for most people. It's still very, very high. Mm. Things have changed on it in the last 20 years because mm. I climbed it 20 years ago. It's now very safe. They have a lot of... Um, uh, rules around when you climb and how quickly you climb so it's quite safe but just seeing somebody that is that didn't have the belief they can do it mm. but have signed up for it and I have this thing called momentary courage have I told you about this? No. So momentary courage is what I, I talk about it momentary courage you can't be brave all the time but you can just have the courage to take that first step and I call it momentary courage and it's a moment that changes your life mm. And so some people have the momentary courage just to take that first step to sign up for Kilimanjaro. Then what I do, especially if you have a team, I say seven, eight, I've just had um, a team of 28 to, in two, two teams. Wow. We have gear evenings and we have um, down in, in a gear store and bivouac, um, we have, you know, uh, dinners where we get together and I talk to everyone about it and everyone can sort of that's that's really a bit worried about it they can start feeling this momentum and, and get taken along by the team mm. when they finally get to Africa now the beautiful thing about Kilimanjaro these days is you can fly into the airport next to Kilimanjaro and then you drive to the hotel and then the next day you're climbing mm. so it's really safe mm. but then when they get to Africa and they're in that hotel and you can see them and they're worried and the next day we start climbing and we start trekking away and then everything starts falling into place mm. and then the next night they've done they've done their first night on the mountain in a tent mm. and the next night their confidence grows and grows and grows and then as a leader as you get higher we get the less and less I sort of say and it, it's amazing just mm. seeing that transformation in people I, I really like it it's really cool do you think the more we integrate with kind of technology and social media that things like what you're talking about you know this idea of being together with people having a reason to do something you know I kind of feel like uh, there's kind of less and less of these options so it's interesting that you know for example you're not starting a tech company and no. doing another app or something you're trying to give real it seems like real world experience experience is pretty important to you eh? it is yeah. absolutely but seeing these teams get together and you know so i had an everest team everest base camp ex uh, team it was probably maybe seven eight years ago you know three or four of those guys came on back onto this uh, kilimanjaro venture and they were really excited and you could see it in them they were you know a couple of them wrote to me i haven't been this excited since we we're going to everest mm. base camp line and then the other team I had, you know, they're all getting together and coming up with other ideas they can do as well. Mm. And, yeah, so there's, there's, you know, life's a fantastic thing. Yeah, it, really it is, is a fantastic thing. Why do you think that we, you know, if, if we're a dog, our job's to probably roam around, you know, lick our nuts. Yep, <laughs> sniff butts. Sniff butts. And, I mean, we're probably not that different as humans. But we have this capacity to think big or to to get to the top of the world, right? Do you ever sit back and think, why the hell are we like this? Yeah. Or that's do you, a hard one, eh? Yeah, man. It's like when I was walking along, you know, take it back to Everest, when I was walking along that ridge, I was thinking of Sir Edmund Hillary being the first. Mm. And I was so lucky to be able to follow in his footsteps. Mm. And it was so much easier for me because I wasn't the first guy to do it. And I knew people had done it mm. and I just wondered what it was like for him mm. to do that that was just absolutely incredible yeah I don't know hey? I don't know 
what the whole meaning around that is. Mm. It's sort of like the meaning of life stuff, isn't it? Yeah, man. I, I mean, we're all looking for that. I think we're all, yeah, it's just you actually go and look for it. You know, yeah, it's only in my little circle and well, my circle of life, I sort of found that I, I'm passionate about adventure and I, and I do like sharing it with people. Mm. Um, and, you know, and I go into it in the book quite a bit about just with my kids and how just my passion for adventure and how I've managed to, because when I became a dad, I was. I was worried that you know this life of adventure was over. Mm. I'd be cleaning nappies, going to daycare. That was it. Mm. And for the first couple of years, yeah, that's it. And you don't mind it because it's all you know, sort of new and exciting. Because you know, but then after that, I started thinking about how I could take the kids on more and more adventures and what we could do together. You know, it had to be safe, obviously, and that's a no-brainer. But how to make it actually work? Mm. And interestingly enough, the biggest thing, especially when the kids were younger. Probably seven was a little bit too young to take them to Nepal, and I talk about it as well. Maybe 10 to 12 would be okay, right. unless you've got friends and you've really been there quite a number of times before. Um, but once I worked out that they needed to feel secure themselves, so I had to be with them 24-7. If they went to bed early at 8 o'clock, I was, had to go to bed mm. and stay with them. Mm. I couldn't go out with my mates or my Sherpa friends. If they needed to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, I got up, stood at the front, waited for them. Mm. And then as soon as they felt secure, then they then they bloomed. And then they their confidence grew and off they went. Mm. And so it took me a while. To, I didn't have all the answers in the beginning. It, mm. it took a while to work that out. Yeah. I still don't have all the answers. No, well, none of us do. That's why we. this is this existential look we have where the answer really is – just be together <laughs> and just try and use that. You know, it's like when the baby's crying, you just got to hold them. Yeah. And sometimes it's that simple. I think if we isolate ourselves. Same thing online. We get isolated and then things don't work out well. What do you want people when they go and buy your book to take away from it? Uh, that's a really interesting question. I haven't been asked that question before. I'd like people just to read it with an open mind and maybe apply some of the ideas in their lives and draw parallels in their lives with what they can do. Mm. You know, it's just spending time with your kids on an adventure. It doesn't have to be Everest. doesn't have to be Kilimanjaro. It can mm. be anything. It can be a, a tree hut that you build with them and sleep night in it and cook a dinner in it. You know, that's the sort of adventure. And, you know, they all, you know kids spell love, T-I-M-E. Mm. That's it. Mm. The other thing is um, what I... Sometimes when I'm lacking a bit of motivation, I'm thinking, oh, what am I going to do? I sort of think, you know, if I'm sitting in my rocking chair, looking back on life, you know, I've made some mistakes, obviously. Um, some of those are the best lessons in my life. Mm. Um, so maybe they're not mistakes. Mm. That's a whole other discussion. Exactly. Um, but I want to look back and say I did try and make the most of my time, you know. Mm. I talk about not being afraid to fail quite a bit in the book and not trying is the only failure. Mm. And so John Kerwin was the guy that told me that. Yeah. Not trying. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Because trying trying something comes with risks, doesn't it? Absolutely. You know, yep. you, you might fail. You might fail, but you can't be afraid of that failure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're an interesting person, Mike. You, uh, we have to land this plane because you've got to go fly a plane. You're a busy person. Uh, you look, man, you got two books. You're uh, someone who's out there doing stuff. Are you proud of you? I mean, I, I know you're not allowed to talk like this because you're about giving. You know, you've got an audience full of people and you've got to deliver them and take them on a journey. But just for your own self. Yes, it's hard to – yeah, sometimes I, you have to look in the mirror and go, yeah, no, I'm proud of what you've done, Mike. Mm. You, know, you have to. You know, but that's hard sometimes. You know, sometimes I think all of us don't give ourselves enough credit that we deserve. Mm. You know, um, I've just come back from guiding Kilimanjaro, those two teams I told you about. Mm. And, you know, I did a good job, but it was really hard. 
and it took me a while to actually look in the mirror and go, yeah, actually, you did a good job, mate. Wow. You know? So, you, yeah, you got to kind of – well, that's another thing we're all struggling with is how do we – it's like how do you love yourself? You yeah, know? compassion. Mm. And so there's the three or four times in my life where I've had to have compassion for myself. One, when I broke my back, mm. I spoke about my first book, uh, and I overtrained and put a stress fracture in my spine. I lost – I was supposed to do the seven marathons, seven days, seven continents run – I had to have compassion for myself. Mm. And I went to the doctor and my doctor, she said to me, she goes, you have to have some compassion for yourself, Mike. Just relax. Mm. Just, so I went home, had a few beers. I sat down and I kept saying to myself, you'll find your mojo, don't force it, just relax. Yeah. And talk, I talked to people, so I talked to my mates, mm. talked to my wife, talked to you know, other people. And that's how I sort of have found my compassion for mm. myself as well. Where can people buy your book? All, all good bookstores. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And apart from, you know, releasing a book, because that's pretty major, what's blowing your mind at the moment? What's blowing my mind at the moment? Um, inspiring on. people to go along and uh, take on Kilimanjaro as their adventure, as their dream, as mm -hmm. their Everest. And seeing that sunrise over that, that uh, Serengeti, you know, if you've got a teenager, 14, I wouldn't take anyone below 14 years of age. Uh, I've had two teenagers come with me now. Uh, it is just a amazing journey. It's not as expensive as everyone thinks. Two thousand bucks US, mm. and uh, it's it's um, quite safe. Yeah, awesome. I like I like the quite safe. It's a bit like <laughs> life, eh? Life's quite fun, but it has it's its still ups a mountain. It's still nineteen thousand feet high. <laughs> yeah. so if you follow the rules, you do. And I, I love my guide. He, his name's on Demi, a Tanzanian guide, and he said, "You follow what we do. You turn up on time." and you do exactly what we say on summit day, you'll be fine. Mm. Like <laughs> Michael Sop, thanks for dropping by. Awesome, thanks. Um, safe travels, and I look forward to I'm going to really consider coming on one of your tours. Oh, love you too. I'll podcast the whole lot, me crying. Absolutely love you too. <laughs> You'll love it. Awesome. You'll love it. Thanks, brother. Well, thank you.